You're listening to the Back Home Network, presented by Homefield Apparel. Welcome, Hoosier fans, to this week's edition of Assembly Call Radio, where each week we discuss the most important topics in the world of Indiana basketball. This is our 296th edition of Assembly Call Radio and our 952nd episode overall of the Assembly Call, recorded on the evening of June 21st, 2023, a day early this week to avoid conflict with Thursday night's IU Heavy NBA Draft. I'm your host, Jared Morris. And what do you say we begin this edition of the Assembly Call how we begin every edition of the Assembly Call? And that is with our Who's Your Proud banner moment. And Indiana is the national champion. When it comes down, Indiana will be champion. Smart takes a shot. Well, here's a first, I think. We're going to talk about a banner moment that actually hasn't occurred yet. Uh, This week's banner moment, I think we can all agree, is going to occur tomorrow night when both Jalen Huchofino and Trace Jackson Davis uh, hear their name called at the NBA draft. As far as Jalen specifically goes, he will probably be picked somewhere in the 13 to 18 range, and he will celebrate in the green room with family members and Coach Mike Woodson. And it will be an excellent visual reminder for high-level recruits about the new path being carved out in Bloomington. Enter through the sample gates, exit through the green room. And you can bet that Dylan Harper, Boogie Fland, Jaden Mustoff, Jalen Harrelson, and others will have that moment sent to them by Indiana coaches. For a program that wants to reassert its presence on the national recruiting scene, having a guy who was initially thought to be at least a two-year college player, hashtag two-year plan, get drafted in the first round is another great story to tell. But it's not just about Jalen tomorrow night. Trace also projects to get drafted, possibly in the first round, the culmination of one of the most productive careers in Indiana basketball history. It's another story IU's coaches will be able to tell on the recruiting trail, and in fact, they already have, as it helped them land Khalil Ware. Now, I know a lot of IU fans don't necessarily want IU basketball to turn into a one-and-done factory or become a school that is more interested in their players' career NBA earnings than actually winning college basketball games. But IU fans also want to start winning a lot more college basketball games, and you do that with the kinds of dudes who hear their names called on draft night. So for Indiana basketball, it's a great sign that two Hoosiers who took completely different paths to the league will hear their names called tomorrow night. IU fans everywhere will have two new teams to cheer for, and more importantly, IU's coaches will have two compelling stories to share on the recruiting trail, which should help make IU interest on draft night an annual occurrence. All right, now let me introduce my co-host this week. Andy and Coach are both off, but here with me, he is a senior writer for the big lead, a freelance shot doctor just waiting for someone to offer him a job, and a man whose best NBA draft player comp is definitely Grady Dick. Analyzing players, finding every wrinkle. He hasn't ever hosted, never lifted a finger. He's got all the well, let me quickly add just one thing about this. Dude just interrupted his own jingle. You're a good shooter, man. Quick release. You know, tall. It's a You solely gave me that comp because of the last name. We that's, both know that. You cannot true. you cannot confirm that. It was <laughs> 
Jared, I'll be honest. I got nothing to talk about this week. I, you know, like nothing happened. Thank God I, for uh, the draft. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it's, you know, I, we, it, this is our, our burden in the off season every week is to find things about Indiana basketball to talk about self-imposed it, burden. We should, yeah, well, of course. Yeah. This is a voluntary activity. There's no one off screen with a gun to my head. It's yep. uh, this isn't a jail cell. Uh, it's actually my apartment. Um, I, you know, it, I think that the, when we had recruiting news the last couple weeks, we really haven't had much this week. We had we had a, a short little video of guys working out even to talk about. Yes. Not a, not a whole lot this week. Um, what I will say is I'll kind of echo what you what your words that I think a guy like Jalen and Trace both came to campus and you were when they both arrived, both came highly touted and both were expected to leave after one year. And, and Jalen lived up to that potential and was on a, a good competitive team and was gone after one year because he got to take the reins of the offense and he ran with it. And, um, you know, he came in and did what was expected of him and, and won big 10 freshman of the year and all that. And, and was as advertised essentially, especially down the stretch of the big 10 season. Um, Trace took a different path. Obviously. I think, um, some people did think he was probably a two year player when he came in because he needed to develop a shot. Time. He did a lot of great work. Uh, set a lot of records and and became you know one of the all time greats statistically in Indiana history and now and and on top of that like a lot of times when guys stick around they become they might become better college players but worse draft prospects and I think the he did both and yeah. and was able to make himself much better I think the difference in him I thought he got incrementally better the first three years I thought the difference between his junior year to his senior year was tremendous. And I thought just the subtle things that he could do with his quickness, his speed, his ability around the basket got better. Uh, the timing on some things like when to break for a, for a lob, when to, you know, cut, when to go back door, when to scoop, you know, sweep it through and drive, all that stuff improved so much. And so he deserves whatever happens tomorrow. He's going to be in the NBA. And a lot of people questioned that two, three years ago. We even questioned it at times if he was going to be an NBA guy. And he made himself into an NBA guy. And so there's two lessons, as you talked about, one with freshman, five-star, highly touted guys, you know, coming here, realizing their dream, playing a season and going. And then there's the story of a guy who stuck around and made himself into an NBA player. And so it's two different paths from two very highly touted recruits. Um and and I, I do think that both working out is a great example for Indiana because, you know, the guys at Kentucky who stick around for four years don't tend to become great NBA players. Uh, they're either the one and dones or if they're around for more than two years, something's wrong, uh, has gone wrong. And I don't think that was the case with Trace Jackson Davis. I think he just made himself so much better and made himself into an NBA player. So that's a testament to him and the program. And Jalen, a testament to him and the program as well. So it, tomorrow night will be a great night for Indiana basketball. Definitely. All right. Well, here's what we have in store this week. As we said, not a lot happened. So it's a good thing that we have friends that we can call on here to help us preview the NBA draft. This is going to be a very IU-centric NBA draft preview. So here in segment one, in a few minutes, our buddy Scott Agnes uh, from the Fieldhouse Files uh, covers the Indiana Pacers. He's going to be here uh, to talk about what the Pacers are planning on doing you know, and where maybe uh, any of these Indiana guys might fit in there and plus his impressions of those guys. And then in segment two, our old intern, Ben Ladner, uh, really, really smart basketball guy, NBA, um, college. Uh, he will be here to talk with us about Jalen, about Trace, and also look at the situations for some of IU's other guys uh, who are in the NBA. And then with whatever time we have left, 
We will do a mailbag in segment three. All of that coming this week on Assembly Call Radio. But first, let's talk about our presenting sponsor. So this edition of Assembly Call Radio, just like all shows on the Back Home Network, like Doing the Work, like Crimson Cast, like maybe a new show or two that are going to be launched here in a little while, uh, just a little sneak preview. Uh, it's all presented by our friends at Homefield Apparel, where they have the largest collection of vintage IU apparel that you're going to find anywhere. And it's not just Indiana. They've got schools from across the country, big and small, and they go back into the archives of those schools and they pull out some of the most interesting you know, mascots, logos, brand marks, and breathe new life into them by printing them on the most comfortable materials, whether it's a t-shirt, a hoodie, a crew neck. There's items for every season. I see Coach Tonsoni uh, is there in the chat uh, hanging out with us. We can only guess what he might be wearing from his uh, collection of 100 different pieces. But Homefield's great. And whether you need to, you know, shop for yourself to get some apparel for the season coming up or you want to shop for friends, maybe for birthday or a holiday, Homefield is a place to go because they're always adding new stuff. And as long as, you know, you have someone who's interested in colleges and universities or just cool designs, they're going to have something for everybody. So go to homefieldapparel.com, use our promo code HOME, H-O-M-E, and you can get 15% off your first order. But also, I would recommend getting on their email list and text list because they send out 20% discounts from time to time uh, that you can use even if you've purchased before. So you want to get on that so you get those alerts. It's homefieldapparel.com, promo code HOME for 15% off. Again, homefieldapparel.com, wear one for the team. All right, Ryan, but while we wait for Scott to get here, we can, you know, kind of give our uh, thoughts on things uh, as we look ahead. As you look at Jalen, what do you think is the best fit for him? Do you think he would be better served by going to a good team where he can play a supporting role? Or going to maybe a team that's not quite as good where he's going to get a lot more minutes early on? Um, I would say if he's not going to go, and, and I, you know, the picks don't line up this way, but if he's not going to go somewhere like the Spurs and get to develop with Wembenyama or someone like that, I would prefer to have him coming off the bench as a rookie. Uh, and and sort of learning that way, like playing. I'm not saying that I don't want him to not play, but sort of learning the ropes and then eventually taking over. I think Toronto's a pretty good fit for him. That's um, where he's going in a lot of mock drafts. Yeah, I think that's I think that's a really good fit for him. They're also a you know they've always been a defense oriented, um, a defense oriented club as well too so he'd be going there to play behind van vliet or to replace him well van vliet is opting out so we don't know what's going to happen there um again you know it depends i mean a lot it's going to depend on where they think that's going because they're probably not going to draft a point guard if if van vliet's back but i mean van vliet can also play off the ball jalen can play off the ball a little bit um they're both versatile so that's an interesting one for me um but yeah, I like I think it's basically if he's going to develop with another star rookie and they want to pair them up now, that is the only way I think going to a quote unquote bad team would work for him is if it was just, hey, we're going to get this group of young guys together and, and build them out, you know, sort of like what Oklahoma City did for a long time and and yeah. um, that we've seen in the past. But it's looking like uh, the Hornets at number two are going to take Brandon Miller. And so that kind of opens things up. So Scoot Henderson is probably going to go number three to Portland. If they hold on to that pick, they may not hold on to that pick, but you look at the list. I, I think he's going outside the top 10 and yeah. you know, you look at the list of teams after that, it's, you know, Orlando, 
They already have a point guard. Uh, Oklahoma City has a point guard. Toronto doesn't have a point guard of the future. Uh, New Orleans has a lot of talent, but you know it feels like it's interchangeable. It feels like they're going to be doing some facelift stuff. I mean, they're it's very uh, latest rumors I've heard. It's it's there's a lot of momentum towards Zion Williamson getting traded tomorrow. So I, I, I don't know. If I were them. He sounds like yeah. he needs a change of scenery. Well, and he's just he's never healthy. I mean, you look at his numbers when he's on the floor. He's dominant. He's a fantastic. He's a fantastic. Numbers are so crazy in his career. He's averaging like 26 points a game and shooting like 37 percent from three. Like he just can't stay healthy. And it's and it's it's the thing we all thought when he got drafted. It's the weight. Yes. Combined with the athleticism, your body can't handle that. Um. Then, you know, uh, Atlanta, Utah. I mean, Utah would probably be a solid fit for him. That's the other place Um, I've seen him a lot. Yeah. Miami, I mean, they'll find a way to use him. Miami takes good players. I don't think he's going to the Lakers. He j- he'd do- fit great in Miami. I think you know? so, too. And they're going to need a replacement for Kyle Lowry, so that's kind of an interesting one. Yep, and and let's be real. I mean, Victor was kind of running that second unit with Kyle Lowry um, at times this year, and he got hurt. Who knows what his future yeah. is? So, um, But, yeah, and then you look at uh, you're looking at the Heat. You're looking at the Warriors. Uh, the Nets are in full rebuild mode um portland so you know somewhere in there those are some teams that where he could land uh again as i've said all along the nba draft you feel like the best players go like if there's a group of seven best players they go in the first seven picks almost every time you might have some random guy jump up and so the first the top seven go in the first eight after that it's kind of a free-for-all of what you need uh you know, trades coming up, what one of your scouts saw in one guy in one workout that impressed him. I mean, it's very fluid. Uh, and I'll also say it's, it's, it's a league where the draft happens before free agency. So you can fill a hole in the draft versus and save yourself a whole lot of money. So it's very important to fill those holes. Um, the NFL draft is all about need. It's, it's different, you know, in, in the NBA, it's sort of we're going to get the best talent and figure out how he fits. You know, if we're going to get the best guard no matter what and figure out how he fits. We're going to get the best forward and figure out how he fits. It's yeah. not speci- it's not position specific as much. So, um, yeah, man, I, I there's a lot of possibilities for him, but um, he's an NBA player and he's going to find a way to fit in the league somewhere. What's your biggest worry about his NBA career? And if it if it doesn't go quite as well as everybody hopes, what's the reason going to be? Do you think I, I outside think of he's just got- the outside shot? Yeah, I think he's got to unlock a little more athleticism and quickness. I think, um, you know, he was good for a college player and he was fine in college with that. But there is kind of a, you know, a slowness to his game. And it's a patience and and that's maturity. But he's got to be able to beat guys with his first step if he's going to play point guard in the NBA. I mean, he, yeah. he has to be able to beat the guys off the dribble. And he didn't do that much. He didn't get to the the rim that much. And that's going to hamper your scoring ability. Um, he's got a great mid-range game, as we know, but you're not deferring to that in the NBA for year to have a 15-year career. You know, if you're if you're if you're taking pull-up 18-footers, you're not lasting 15 years. Um, yeah. so I think he needs to be able to shoot from three and also find a way to get to the rim and get fouled when he does. He's strong enough to fight through contact. Um but yeah, I'd say those are the two things that 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 I see. I think the defense will be fine because his instincts are so good. But I'd like to see him get a quicker first step. What about Trace? And Scott is uh, is on his way. What do you think is the ideal spot for him? I don't know. I like you know he's going to be going in an area where he's either going to be on a playoff team or it's going to be early second round. So it's kind of going to be like a lottery ticket for a 
you know, a, a team that's worse off. Um, but I think definitely someplace where he's going to be energy off the bench. I, I think that's, that's his fit. He's not where he's not relied upon to do a ton of things for you um, where he can just be a guy who can run the floor, be fast up and down the floor, finish at the rim. Um, and then, you know, obviously he's going to be defending fours. So I would hope that he would have a rim protector behind him because that would help him, you know, so he could take more chances and gamble a little bit. Cause I think that's where he's going to be at his best in the NBA, where I would say as the, as, as the rim protector in college, that's not what you want to do. But I would right. say, I think that at the next level, if he's got a rim protector behind him, he'll be able to gamble, take more chances. So something like that, uh, definitely a team that plays more up tempo though. I think that's his style. I think that's where he fits best. Ladies and gentlemen, Look at here Scott. he is with us. What's up, guys? Our, our old friend, Scott Agnes, who was the producer on the Kent Sterling show when we got our first ever radio spot. Uh, we, we would always get to talk to Scott beforehand. So very, very excited that Scott is here. Now writes the Fieldhouse Files, which is the premium email newsletter for the Indiana Pacers that I highly recommend everybody get on. Uh, I'm on it. I recommend if you're a Pacers fan, even just an NBA fan, get on it. Scott, how you doing, man? Nice, nice calm Wednesday for you, right? <laughs> yeah, not at all. Uh, it worked out too. The Pacers thought it was a great idea to announce more details on All Stars uh, weekend today. I'm like, can we push that to next week? So, guys, focus, focus. <laughs> yeah, right, you got, got the five picks. They announced like a big trade, and yeah. yeah, there was the trade. I was co-hosting a radio show for three hours. Now I'm churning out content, so it, it's fun. It's why we get into this, right? Well, it's that one day in the off season. Or the one week in the offseason where it is pure chaos. I mean, the free agency is chaos, but you kind of have an idea where that's going to go. The week of the draft, you got no idea what's going to happen at any time. And my favorite thing, Ryan, now, especially in this last week, is I question everything, right? Like, why yeah. is that out there? Did he really say that? Uh, there was there was a story that got floated around about one particular player that came through the Pacers workout. Long story short, if you hit 20 of 25 threes, you ring a bell. Supposedly, this guy did it. He's the only guy that's done it except for one Pacer player. I go to my phone where I have the daily rundown of every Pacer that has done it. It's like 10 players each day. Like, oh, <laughs> that's not a story. But yeah, that type of thing happens right yeah. now. So you got like, how does Cam Whitmore right now? The conversation, you know, is he's fourth or fifth. And now some people have him in double digits. Like, yep. are we serious and why? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I was talking to, to Jared about that. And then just to reiterate, I said it for the people listening, I'll, I'll give this to Scott, but you feel like in the draft, the top seven players go in the top seven picks, maybe top eight, mm -hmm. you know, regardless of position fit or whatever, the, the best players are going to be off the board when you expect them to be off the board. It's after that is insane chaos in the NBA draft because, you know, you, the 25th guy on the board could go 10th, you know, be, just by preference or fit or mm -hmm. whatever. And so this week is absolutely nuts. The smoke screens have smoke screens. It's, you know, <laughs> nobody knows what's going on. Uh, people within, I've talked to people within, I like, I remember when the Lakers were going to take D'Angelo Russell at number, no, it was Brandon Ingram. I'm sorry. At number two. And Ben Simmons went first and, and Brandon Ingram was going to go number two. And, you know, it, it just, I asked three people in the organization. They all gave me three different answers of what was going on. And this was two hours before the draft. So mm -hmm. I do not envy you this week. my friend. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot going on. And I would agree with you, Ryan, the fact that up to about seven or eight, you kind of know how it'll shake out at least the, that tier. And then that next tier, which in this draft, I think is tier four around nine. That's when, when things will get interesting. That's when teams like Thon maker, uh, you know, really, 
really got drafted much earlier than I think anyone imagined or Michael Porter Jr. because of injuries slid back many spots before Denver finally got him. And I think 14. So that's yeah. certainly the range I'm sure we'll get into with Jalen Hood, Jalen Hood, Shafino and others. And then, uh, yeah, that's where it really takes off again. So obviously the number one question that, you know, of the crossover fans who like the Pacers, who like the Hoosiers, what are the chances the Pacers end up with Trace Jackson Davis and how much lower are they now that the Pacers just got rid of picks 29 and 32? Because I think we would all love for Trace to end up with the Pacers, but no one wants to wait until 40 for him to get picked. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and I've, I've come around to the idea of him actually being a, a good fit and adding in an area where there could be a need. The trouble I see for the Pacers in particular with Trace is I still look at their log jam at center with Miles Turner, with Daniel Tice, a veteran, with two young guys in Isaiah Jackson and Jalen Smith. So you really want to add another guy to the fold, even though I know Trace in the traditional center, probably more of a, a traditional four in today's age. Um, but again, that's that's another piece here that you'd have to consider. But between his passing, his rebounding, and, and shot pro and rim protection, that would be areas right away that he would help a team like this, I think, off the bench. Jalen Smith disrespected Assembly Hall. Get him out. Draft trace. That's right. Easy. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> I, I had to ask him about that when he was acquired by the team two trade deadlines ago, and he played it off well. He was like, yeah, yeah, I was in the wrong. That was bad. But I, I like I, IU fans. I hope they are, are good with me now after the fact. Oh, I and I'm actually kidding. I don't have a big problem with that. You go They're beat someone young. on the road, yeah. you can celebrate a little bit. I really didn't care sure. that much. Um, okay, so... But tell me about Trace. You know, obviously, and your thoughts on him. I mean, obviously, he went and had the workout for the Pacers. It was really cool how they actually put out like a highlight video of his workout, which you don't often get. That was which I just that was weird. It was, but I mean, I thought it was neat that they did that. Do you? Why did it they do that? It was excellent PR work, quite yes. frankly. Yeah, it was excellent engagement for those that like that on their Twitter account. Is how I read into it. But <laughs> yeah, bigger context here is the Pacers always announce who they work out. And, and we'll post a photo from each prospect after the fact. Well, in addition to all that, not only I think did Trace get a, a, his own tweet with like four photos, mm -hmm. he also got like a highlight video that was two minutes long. And better than that, it wasn't just like a shot. Like I think it was Cam Whitmore who was the only the first player who came in for an individual workout. It was it was the worst video because it was tracking his shot showing him tracking his shot, showing him. I was like, just stick with him. You're making me dizzy here. Whereas with trace, you, sh you saw him running lane lines. You saw him blocking shots. You saw him diving on the floor. You saw him knocking down threes, knocking down jumpers and working in the post. It was the ultimate highlight tape that reminded me of high school where it's entirely curated and you think a player cannot do any wrong, but I get it. And, and to the larger context as well, guys, there were more media members at this workout than have it covered any Pacers practice or any Pacers game this season. If you just count Pacers wow. contingent. Wow. So, that's so that amazing. was sizable. And again, that's why a show like yours and many others can exist because of the diehard fan base, because of yes. the interest level. Uh, it's nuts. It's, it's really remarkable, quite frankly, and all of that. And so in terms of trace, how I see him right now, um, I, I, I think like we all kind of see it's that end of first round, early second round, I think my official count had him doing 13 workouts. He started out West and really made a strong impression to begin with Sacramento, with Golden State, with Utah, 
uh, really liked him. And, and the first two come to mind, too, because uh, Draymond and how he operates in the mid post and kind of is the fulcrum of an offense. And then Demonis Simonis in many ways. I, I think Trace has similar characteristics and what he's trying to show and demonstrate. The number one question that he's been answering from media has been all about his shot, as you would expect. And you're going to understand that Always. for a guy. Yeah. And, and, and I, I kind of joked with him at the combine about this. And I wanted to get a true understanding, too, because um, the day before, there were like three stories about how he was so good at knocking down shots. And I was like, do you kind of laugh about this or what do you feel about it? And he gave an incredible answer that I don't even believe was like a coached up answer. It was, hey, look, I, I totally understand it. I didn't attempt a three-pointer in three of my four seasons. And in fact, this past season, I could have, but it's not what the team needed. Why, when I was so successful in the post, why do anything different? Keep, keep going with what's working, and it led to wins. And I was like, you know what? That's exactly right. That's a great answer and exactly why you'd want him on your team is yeah. he's not trying to be someone who he's not when the other thing is working. Um, the other thing I did like to highlight, and this is more Pacers-centric, is, of course, he is the son of Dale Davis, even though it was really Ray Jackson who raised him, but because he was working out for the Pacers and from the area and such, I, I, I did want to get that question in. I wasn't sure how receptive, how he would be to it. And he was great. He goes, look, uh, you know, Ray really raised me, um, but he's still in my life talking about Dale Davis, um, but he's really let it, leading me down and letting me carve out my own pathway. If I need him, um, he's there. Our games aren't really similar. And the biggest surprise out of all of it is Trace was, and he got kind of embarrassed with a smile almost was he was like, yeah, I've maybe been to like 20 Pacer games in his life. And I was surprised by that. Oh, wow. Given Trace or Dale was traded when Trace was kind of born. So it's not like there was that overlap. But with that said, I mean, I thought he'd go to four or five games per year being so close, being in basketball and surely having so many friends in basketball. Yeah. Yeah, that is funny. So speaking of the Pacers, for our Pacers fan listeners, you know, obviously the first thing everybody's going to do tomorrow is grade the draft, which is a ridiculous exercise, but a necessary one because it's, you know, it's content and it's fun. What do the Pacers need to do? What do they need to come away with? I think they still have four picks, right? Mm -hmm. What do they need to come away with for you to think, okay, this was a solid night's work? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move on from one more of those picks. Um, they're, where they're at right now is they would bring in four guys after trading one of them today. They could bring in four guys this year. Well, right now, as of today, they only have three roster spots, although you could also include a couple two-way contracts that don't account against that number. So realistically, I don't think you want to bring in more than true two rookies. Um, and Especially I'm with Rick Carlisle as your coach. <laughs> it's such a running <laughs> but, joke down here in Dallas about how Carlisle it, just it, doesn't want rookies. <laughs> it is, but it's funny up here. The my, One of my things that I enjoy most from the end of these workouts, which is all we get to see, by the way, we don't get to see any of the workouts, right. but we are fortunate to be welcomed in when they're done, maybe shooting around, and then we interview them. Um, is Rick really takes a liking to guys and will work on their shoot. He's very specific and fundamentals and teach. He worked with Taylor Hendricks for 20 minutes just on his shot. Wow. He did that last year with Benedict Matherin. So I, I, maybe he's evolved. Maybe he recognizes certain things that he's, he's got to do or, or just cause they're right now in a phase where they're not competitive in terms of in the playoffs or being a contender that he's really going back to the basics. And I, I feel like this is his element. He, I think maybe in his afterlife, this is just me guessing it, or after he's done being a head coach, he could just be like a uh, a shooting consultant or something like that, a way where he could work 
with these young men on their shot and little things that could be big differences. Um, got off on a tangent right there, yeah. <laughs> but I see the Pacers ideally taking two first round picks and, and working them into the fold and then come free agency and, and trades, making at least one big trade to add more of a veteran wing in addition to whomever they draft. So they All have right, seven Scott. and what's the other, what's the other first round pick? They have tw- seven and 26, 26. Okay. So Scott, put your chips in. Who are they mm-hmm. taking at seven? I've said Jarris Walker from Houston, from our guy, Kelvin Sampson. He's good, um, <laughs> for, he's I've said dog, that for, for three weeks. And I think not only will he probably be the best available right there, but also, man, he fills so many needs for this Pacers team right away oh, with man. his defensive versatility, his rebounding, shot blocking, his build. I think he could also be kind of a, an enforcer. He's not a loud enforcer from what I gather. No. Like a guy that's a Kevin Garnett going to scream in your face, but he's going to quietly piss you off. And like, he's, gosh, you are so good. Yeah. He's yeah. a 19 year old who looks like a 27 year old. Like, I yeah. mean, just, and, and you I, know, build the way he carries himself, all of that. He's, and, yeah, he's, a and I read into things a little bit, Ryan. And one of the things I took away when we were in there is after the fact, he had his shirt off. He was shaking, shaking everyone's hand with his shirt off to me, and he looked cut. I think that was a statement that I'm not overweight, that I'm in shape. Mm-hmm. Look at me, and by the way, like you said, I'm 19. I have so, mer- so many ways in which I can grow here and look what I look like already. This has been a good tra- draft process for me. I thought that was very strategic by him, whether it was or not. We'll just go with that's it. What, that's what Ryan does when he's trying to impress people. He just takes <laughs> yep. his shirt off. And he's you like, guys have seen me in Bloomington. That's right. just what I walk on stage and rip it off. Hey, welcome back. Look at me now. That's what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. that's what you're doing right? <laughs> Who's the uh, – so, Scott, I know you – Crazy busy, and I appreciate your time, man. So we'll get you out of here quick. What's kind oh, of good. the ideal? What's kind of the ideal pick for them with that second first round pick? I think that second one, I would go right back to that wing spot. That's the one yeah. area where they don't have much. You could maybe include in that group Aaron Neesmith, uh, Jordan Wara. They're set at point guard. They're set at center. So I think it's adding players at the in between that ideally can be the two way guys. Sorry uh, to everybody who wants them to get <laughs> Jalen or Trace. <laughs> Jalen certainly not. Yeah. Maybe I think there are better guys that could add more um, to that spot. And I think with this pick in particular, maybe you go a little more younger, a little more raw with the pick. Um, I think it would be a reach, but I think of a guy like Gigi Jackson, who's the youngest player in the draft, has some maturity and issues, even admitted to those, which I appreciated some of his candor with us. But imagine bringing him here to a, a very friendly, I think, welcoming team led by a, a good leader in Halliburton, not asking him to do a lot right away, maybe even getting G League reps. Maybe you even invest in something like that with that 26 pick. But there's probably 10 guys right there that I think they'd be comfortable with. That's That in large part, Jared, is why I think they felt comfortable moving on from picks 29 and 32 as well, because with 26 and then they acquired 40 as well, I think they can get two two guys right there that, that that can be part of the future, even if not right away. Last question for you. Who is your just like personal favorite guy in this draft? Not necessarily a lottery pick, but a guy maybe who's going to get picked after the lottery and not necessarily to the Pacers either, but that you just love and think is going to have a long, really good career. Don't say Weminyama. <laughs> no, I said after the lottery. Right. I know. I know. <laughs> uh, the most impressionable, I had two guys that really struck me just from an interview standpoint. Yep. I think it was Jordan Miller, I want to say, from Miami. Uh, just, yes. just like I'd want to go to dinner with that guy. Like always smiling, had an incredible optimism and 
in, in presentation about himself. And the same was Ben Shepard from Belmont, um, who very well could be in play at 26 uh, right there. I think the guy I'm most interested in, both from what I've seen, how he talked and was confident in his abilities, and now, whether it's fair or not, how he's apparently risen in the last week is, um, I think he go Omax Prosper from Marquette. Yeah. Uh, another wing. That's basically all I've been studying, guys, here for the last month. <laughs> um, I, I think he's a guy I'm very curious. Will he pan out? Will he be something like an all-star in the future? Or it, another one of those guys that, you know, at 24 just doesn't pan out? Because it's a crapshoot, really, I say, yeah. after 18, 19. You hope something pans out. But the Pacers in recent history ha- have fizzled out there. TJ Leaf, Aaron Holiday, Goga Bataze. It has not been good, and that's in large part why the Pacers have been down for the past three years because they haven't rebuilt well through the draft. Yeah, San Diego's own TJ Leaf was not a great pick. Pacers fell in love with UCLA guys and drafted like three in a row. E.K. Inabogu, you might remember him, Ryan Phillips. (laughs) I I do. They just drafted the wrong ones. Anytime I mention the Pacers about anything on Twitter, inevitably – more than one person comes in my mentions and reminds me that the Pacers drafted TJ Leaf over OG Ananobi. <laughs> Just, it's without without fail, it always happens. Yep. Right. But I was told. I think they had him. As, I didn't. I think because of the injury that scared some people off coming off an ACL injury. Yeah. Pacers valued him, but I think it was late first round. So I'm not going to pretend he was two spots away. I think he was more late first round grade rather than Pacers. I think we're on the clock at seven, 18 for yeah. TJ. And now Where, everybody wants OG Ananobi, right? Yeah. That's, that's all everybody keeps talking about. Because he just improves local. every season. Always yeah. getting better. Selfishly, um, selfishly, Jared, though, I'm like, I remember his rookie year. I went over to him, talked to him. I think I asked seven questions. The interview lasted one minute. I was going to say, <laughs> would you get 12 words? <laughs> so I still want to get OG on there. the podcast. I'll have, we'll have to have like 200 questions ready just to fill, you know, an hour of content. Because the... Answers are so short. Oh, yeah. that's funny. So, okay, tell everybody where the best place is to connect with uh, with all your stuff. Is it fieldhousefiles.com? Is that the best place yeah, to go? Yeah, it is, okay. absolutely. That's where I got the full list of who the Pacers brought in and where. You can watch video interviews with, I think, 42, 73% of the draft picks. It's like 42, 45 nice. of the 62, whatever. So if you want to catch up on all that and, and, and daily coverage there. But one last thing, too, with Jalen. I'm sure you guys talked about him leading into him. I'm seeing him probably go from nine to 14. I think he's right in that sweet spot. He worked out for five different teams and they're all basically right there except for Detroit. That was the one-off and that Mm -hmm. one kind of surprised me a little bit, but he did Washington, Utah, Orlando, Toronto. If he gets past Toronto, I'll be a little surprised there at 13. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's kind of the, where everyone's targeting him a little bit. We did talk about that before you got on. It's a good fit. Be great. Be a great story for Mike Woodson if he ends up in the lottery. That's for sure. Can you imagine if OG is in Toronto and then Jalen joins him? Like IU fans will go buy all their jerseys. That'd be great. We, we do just don't p- know what Toronto's doing right now. They hired a coach that's probably more that's a first year head coach and probably more geared towards rebuilding and develop player development. Something Nick Nurse alleged. You know, they didn't feel he did a good enough job of recently. Yeah. So where does that leave guys? That's the big question right now. No one knows exactly how to read Musaiju Jiri in uh, Toronto right now. Yep. Yeah. I don't know. But wherever he goes, Indiana fans will definitely be following. That's for sure. Just as they should be following all of your stuff, Scott. So go to fieldhousefiles.com. Really appreciate your time tonight. Get some sleep. 
and uh, have some fun tomorrow. Yeah, take a vacation. A big day for the take Pacers. Get yourself a few days off after. I'm hoping night. to hit the golf course next week. That's Do my it. goal. Haven't As you should. The club since April. So <laughs> there we go. As you should. Scott, thanks so much, <laughs> man, for coming on. Really appreciate right. it. Thank you, guys. Good to see you. Yep. Adios, Great buddy. Scott Agnes, everybody. Fieldhousefiles.com. Check him out. Subscribe to his stuff. I'm a paying subscriber uh, to his newsletter. Love it. Um, and I highly recommend that for all of you, too. All right. Coming up here on Assembly Call Radio. Our next guest is already here waiting patiently. We're going to talk more NBA as it relates to IU's players. Ben Ladner will join us to talk about Jalen and Trace and also the future for guys like OG, EJ, Vic, Romeo, others. Stick with us in this in the call. And Ryan just left. <laughs> What's up, Ben? Not much, man. How are you? I'm good, man. It's good to see you. Yeah, I was going to say the same. Yeah, it's good to be here. This is going to be fun. Yeah, thanks for uh, coming on on short notice. I appreciate it. Yeah, no it. problem. We, uh, yeah. we were, we were kind of texting back and forth like yesterday and today trying to figure trying to figure out what to do with the show. And it's like, yeah. there's not really much to talk about this week except for the mm-hmm. draft. So let me, uh, let's right. call up our NBA friends and see who can come. And we yeah. were fortunate that you and Scott were able to. So that's awesome. Happy to be here. I'm in good company with Scott. Scott's good, man. He, is, he does good, good work. He's um, a good guy. He's a good egg, too. How you doing, Ben? He is. I'm good, man. How are you? It's good, good to see you. Good. 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 All right. So oh, we'll get uh, segment two started, and then I want to get an update on what you're doing, too. Yeah. So we'll save that for, uh, for segment two here. All right. Let's jump into it. And here we go. <clears throat> hey, it's Romeo Langford. What's the only thing better than handing a game winner to beat Wisconsin? Celebrated with friends afterwards. Join Jared, Andy, Ryan, and Coach on assembly call after every IU basketball game. Go Hoosers. Oh, hello, everybody. Thank you for that, Romeo. Yep. Romeo may be teammates with Victor Wimbanyama here soon. Just saying. Um, I'm Jared Morris here with Ryan Phillips. And we just got done talking with Scott Agnes about uh, Jalen and Trace and the Pacers and what they may do. And we are going to continue our IU-centric uh, NBA draft preview here with our old pal Ben Ladden, former Assembly Call intern, also wrote some content for Inside the Hall as well. Just did a ton of great stuff. Uh, certainly one of the interns who left the biggest impression on the audience. Because as soon as you left Ben, people were asking for you to come back. You know, can we get Ben on again? We like his insight. Um, so great to have you back, man. What have you? Uh, what have you been up to? Where are you writing these days? Yeah. Thank, first of all, thanks for having me. It's, it's really good to be here and, and kind of uh, diving back into some IU hoops with you guys. It takes me back a little bit. And uh, I always enjoy talking with you guys about this stuff. So um, I appreciate you having me on. These Absolutely. days, I'm, I'm writing less uh, than I used to, um, kind of living the civilian life as far as like work and paying the bills goes. So I'm writing occasionally at uh, the step back, still with Fansided, like I did throughout college. Um, about the NBA and then hosting a podcast is called read and react with uh, actually a former college buddy of mine, John Sauber, who covered the IU yeah. beat with me um, when I was on that beat where contemporaries there and now um, friends and, and podcast co-hosts. So people can check that out if they want, but you know, really as, as far as the uh, sports media scene, I'm, I'm close to dormant right now, which is uh, hmm. you know, good and bad, I suppose. Well, it's a shame because you do great work. Are you, you. Uh, yeah. are you are you thinking about getting back into it? Like, is that still kind of the ultimate goal? Yeah, I, th- I think in theory, you know, it's it's uh, I don't know, it's it's one of those things that 
I know for me, I, I found myself that uh, that I was very selective as far as like, or maybe not selective, just specific in terms of what I wanted to do with this career path and kind of where I saw myself. And um, I think now more than ever, maybe in, in a concerning way, it's it's kind of hard to see where that fits in in the long term. When I when I evaluate kind of the the sports media landscape and broader like national American media landscape, um, it's it's as now kind of from more of an outsider perspective. Uh, it doesn't look great um, just on, on the whole. So I, I, it actually gives me more of an appreciation for what you guys do, being able to, to carve out like a, a real career and, and an audience with this kind of thing. Um, but it's hard, man. So I, the way things are going, it's it's tougher and tougher, but I, I haven't closed the door just yet. So uh, after that assessment, Jared, if you guys will just excuse me, I'm going to go wander in traffic. Yeah, I'll, sorry uh, about that. I didn't mean to bring yeah, Why don't you pull up indeed, Brian? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that's funny. Um, all right. Well, hey, we we love your writing, and so I hope you, you. I hope you get back into it because thanks. Know, you're, yeah, you're you're one of the best analysts that we've had um, on here. Just breaking I down the game, that. and yeah, so we really yeah. appreciate and, and it. And to, to go back to what you were saying, um, the comment you made about people asking after I left and all that, I, I'll say too, like while I was interning with y'all and writing, especially on the post game emails and stuff like that, uh, received a lot of really good feedback from the audience as well, and so that was really meaningful and. Uh, still something that I, I kind of cherish from my time covering IU. That was just a really warm and receptive and complimentary audience. So that was really nice to, to That's work awesome. for. That is awesome. All right. Well, let's turn our attention to tomorrow night, which is, I mean, the most anticipated NBA draft for IU fans since 2013, when you know you had Vic and Cody projected mm-hmm. to go in the lottery. Um, you know, two guys again. Now you won't have two guys in the lottery, but potentially two first rounders. Give me your let's start with Jalen and then we'll go to Trace. Just give me your scouting reports. And, you know, obviously from an NBA perspective, because we know that some of the things that they did to be successful in college don't necessarily translate. So how do you look at those two guys translating to the NBA level? Yeah, well, first of all, I think you're right to point out the differences between the NBA and college basketball, especially Big Ten basketball, as you guys know, very physical, relatively slow. You know, occasionally you have like a you know, a 2017 Michigan who kind of plays a pro style um, sort of offense and and does some switching on defense and it integrates some kind of more modern concepts. But by and large, it's it's a much different sport than the NBA game. So um, I actually think that benefits someone like Jalen Hood Shafino, who should have more space to work with in the NBA. Um, if he's a primary ball handler, if he's if he's running pick and roll, if he's trying to get downhill, you know, he he won't have as many non-shooters kind of clogging up the lane. He won't have as much of an emphasis, like a team emphasis on posting up the big guy. And, and that's not to say that Indiana was wrong to do that this year because that's what won them basketball games. But in the NBA, you don't see that quite as often. It's it's much more of a guards league or at least a ball handlers league. And so I think that benefits him. The question about him for me really is just, is he a primary ball handler at the NBA level? I think he he showed some chops there in college. He showed the ability to get downhill, to get to the mid-range. He had a really smooth pull-up jumper. The mechanics looked really good. He could get to that 15 to 18-foot range and knock down the shot. So I think he's a solid passer, a guy who can hit the weak side corner, manipulate defenses off the dribble. Um, I like some of the no-look passes he threw this season and, and just the way he was able to kind of control the defense, make them go one way and throw the pass the other. I thought he showed some really impressive vision there. The ball handling, I really like a lot. He can create space. Um, he can he can kind of, you know, sometimes he gets a little bit loose with the turnovers and the decision-making, but at times you saw him really, like, show some some good discipline and some good skill with the ball in his hands and be able to break guys down off the dribble, change direction. He changes speeds really well, especially in traffic. I like the way he's able to turn the corner on the pick-and-roll 
read how the, especially against drop coverage, read how the defender's playing him and either use a dribble move to create space and get downhill, or more often it was settling for that pull-up jump shot. Um, I think some of his limitations, the turnovers, uh, the the inability to really stretch defenses and, and really threaten defenses as a pull-up three-point shooter, and also the inability to get to the rim and finish consistently, I think those things could make it difficult for him to succeed in the same kind of role he played at, at IU in the NBA, um, just because you really have to be one of the elite of the elite to do that at the NBA level. And so the question for him is is going to be if he can't be your kind of, if not every possession, then at least like a secondary primary ball handler, can he do enough other things to help you win? Can he hit enough catch and shoot jumpers? Can he play defense you know, and be a, a, a dogged point of attack guy? on that end of the floor? Can he be a secondary playmaker, a cutter, a ball mover, that kind of thing? I think all of that remains to be seen. I, um, I know Scott mentioned like nine to 15 kind of feels like his range. I think that makes sense. I think there's enough of that primary ball handler upside that you can kind of believe in what he can do offensively. And I also like his defense as well, especially at the point of attack. But there are also, I think, are enough questions about can he do this well enough to justify the kind of usage and the kind of uh, um, you know shot diet that will come with that kind of role that you maybe have some questions about his ability to do that efficiently. And then his ability to contribute in other areas of the game. Mm. Very good. And what about uh trace? Yeah, it's funny with him. Cause if you ask me for, and, and I'll, I'll admit I was kind of dead wrong on him coming out of high school. And when he first got to IU, which was kind of the tail end of my time there, I didn't really see him as an NBA player. And I think a lot of that was just me being wrong about him. A lot of it was him developing him. I think getting more, more mobile, more agile. And some of it's the way that the NBA game has changed over the last few years. I don't think we're really in this era anymore where everyone's got to switch, everyone's got to space the floor, everyone's got to be kind of a 3 and D guy who can fit around a LeBron James or a Steph Curry or something like that. I think there's a lot more stylistic variation in the NBA, and it's accommodate the, the, the overall NBA landscape right now, to me, is accommodating to a wider swath of player archetypes than it was like when I was in college, you know, four or five years ago. So I think that that works to Trace's benefit. And I think the fact that he's a good passer, he's a good athlete, uh, he's skilled, he's smart, he's a good rim protector defensively. I think he's probably quicker than a lot of people might think as a perimeter defender. Not that he's going to be like a five position switch defender, but I think as a guy who can play multiple pick and roll coverages, as a guy who can cover ground, as a help side defender, that sort of thing, you know, he's not going to be Jaron Jackson on that end of the floor, I don't think. But I think he can be a serviceable defensive big man. And then, you know, a guy who can probably make some plays on the short roll, um, also threaten defenses as a lob threat. So I think he can be a capable pick and roll offensive player because of his passing decision-making and also his vertical athleticism and the ability to stretch defenses that way. I think you wonder about the jump shot. Um, that's always kind of been a question with him. He, he gradually, I think, stretched it out. You guys can maybe speak more intelligently on this than I can. Started to stretch it out a little bit over his time at IU. I, I still don't know that I think he's like a three, an NBA three-point shooter just yet. But again, that may not be as big of a concern as it was when he got to IU. So I, I think I think you can work within that. And you know, to me, he's a guy that should get drafted. He's a guy that I think, you know, a median outcome maybe looks like backup combo big, like a like a power forward center who gives you 15, 20 minutes off the bench. And then in a best case scenario, I think he can be like a low end starter in the NBA, if he kind of re really reach, I mean, obviously best case is like, he's an all-star, but I think realistic, you know, 85th, 90th percentile outcome. 
like a decent starter, which like if you told me that when he first got to Indiana, I would have been surprised. So I, I think that's a pretty good outcome for him. Um, and he's a guy that's kind of proven me and a lot of other people wrong as he's developed and as he's gotten better over his career. Yeah, Ben, we've seen a lot in the NBA. As you mentioned, there's been a shift where all five guys on the floor now don't have to shoot threes. It's certainly a luxury, but teams aren't built like not and not everyone's chasing the Warriors anymore mm-hmm. to play yeah. that style. And I think they quickly learned it's really hard to play that style. You just have to have a perfect mix of players. And the Warriors did for a while. Um, you see a lot more team building going on. You look mm-hmm. at what Denver did this year. You look at what Milwaukee's done. You surround a lot of really good players around a star instead of necessarily star chasing um, and guys who fill specific roles. Do, and is that what you mean when you say that you think the NBA fits Trace more? Is that he's, he's a specific role guy who could be sort of fit into any team, you know, in certain ways, uh, you know, if he plays a certain style? Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that is kind of what I'm talking about. I, I think now there's, there's, I think a realization that it's important to have a wide range of skills on the floor. And whoever you get those skills from isn't as important as just having them. You need a rim protector, yeah. you need playmaking, you need primary ball handling, um, you need shooting, but not every player on the floor has to be able to do all of those things. Exactly. Right. So you can kind of you can play a Trace Jackson Davis who maybe doesn't space the floor as well. Um, with a like let's say hypothetically a miles turner who can space the floor and those two guys do different things and so they complement each other in the front court uh, in a way that you know two maybe more duplicitous players wouldn't do i also think and, and my i mentioned john sauber earlier um my podcast partner he's mentioned this point before as well there isn't really that dominant like perimeter ball handler in the league right now like a peak lebron james so the need for five switchable guys who can survive when you switch hunt and, and match up hunt them um, on ball screens isn't quite as great because there aren't the kinds of players who are going to punish uh, you know a, a weaker defender like that anymore. And I also think maybe maybe as a result of there not being that dominant perimeter star, most of the best players in the league nowadays are very versatile, very adaptable uh, in their games, especially offensively. Like the, the reason the Denver Nuggets had the best offense of all time, arguably was that Nikola Jokic can literally do anything on offense. So whatever his teammates are good at, he can just kind of fill the negative space around them and do it at a really high level and accommodate the strengths of his teammates while still playing to his own strengths because everything is his strength offensively. And I think that's the case to a slightly lesser degree with Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, uh, Giannis maybe a, a little bit less, Kevin Durant. You know, a lot of these top guys, I think, fit more into that style and it's a lot more adaptable, which which means you can accommodate more player types. And then the third thing, you know, you mentioned like not every team's chasing the Warriors, but I think we're seeing a lot of teams copying the Warriors at a much larger scale. It's obviously not the talent level. It's not the same defensive approach, but in terms of the concepts and the principles running motion offense, you know, integrating that. Yeah. The kind of read and react principles into offense. That is a lot more widespread. It used to be that only the Spurs did that. And then it was the Warriors are doing it at a higher level. And now the Sacramento Kings, who had the best offense in the NBA last year without really like a dominant offensive player, they succeeded because they're constantly running motion. They're running Kevin Herter off of screens. They're running back cuts. They're running weak side actions to keep the defense distracted while they run the primary action on the other side of the floor. You know, you take a team like the Dallas Mavericks, who I think we'd think of as one of the more stagnant offenses in the NBA, even they are running like exit screens on the weak side, you know, exchange actions on the, on the wing and corner to keep the defense occupied. There's just a lot more movement, a lot more improvisation 
throughout the NBA now, and that just makes teams harder to guard um, and also accommodates more skill sets because now if you can't shoot, instead of standing in the corner and doing nothing and letting your man just sag off of you, you can make a cut, you can screen, you can screen a shooter open, you can be a primary, you can be a, an on-ball screener. There's just a lot more ways that you can be involved in the offense when you don't just have to stand around and, and you know, take spot up threes. Man, that really stood out to me watching the playoffs this year. You know, and it's it's funny because a lot of IU fans have always, you know, not they don't they haven't necessarily liked the NBA just because for such a long time, you know, NBA possessions and it still happens like this. You know, you get a lot of ISO ball because mm -hmm. you just have great players. But man, some of the cutting and the off ball movement you were talking about this year, yeah. like it was better than I've seen. And when my favorite part about the playoffs is you see the best players in the world playing as hard as they can, which they yeah. can't do for 82 games, but they can in these games and watching how hard guys cut. It's like, Hey, for any of the IU fans here who want to talk bad about the NBA, like watch this, this stuff looks familiar that yeah. they're doing here in the playoffs. It's just the best players in the world doing it with more space. But it, I, I agree with you. I mean, you're really starting to see more of that and it's more fun basketball to watch than just let's clear out. And these guys are just going one-on-one. -on -one. There's still some of that, but the offense is much more interesting to watch to me now. Well, I think it, yeah, one totally interesting agree. one interesting thing I remember trying to tell people when the bubble was going on, that was some of the most high-level basketball I've mm -hmm. ever seen. And the reason why yeah. is those guys had no distractions. <laughs> yeah. It was basketball all day, every day, except for when they went back to their rooms and were playing PlayStation. Mm -hmm. And also with, you know, no distractions, the coaches – could draw up more intricate plays and things like that. And so you were seeing a lot more free flowing basketball at a very high level. And I mean, you'll probably never get that again, uh, hopefully in our lifetimes. But <laughs> I think that that did start to elevate things to another level. And you are seeing much more active offense uh, throughout games. Cause a lot of times they'd have active offense in the fourth quarter, but the rest of the game would just kind of be like a pickup game you know, in stretches, they might start off running some stuff, but then yeah. second and third quarters are just kind of like, Hey, get some shots up. Yeah. Uh, now you're seeing it. You, you mentioned the Kings, the Kings just wore people out. I mean, that that's what they did with that motion. They just wore, they're young and they move and they just wore people out. Yeah. And, and you mentioned it being like a pickup game. I think that's still true, except all the, all the players are now like, th there's less of a need to draw up plays, right? Because it's, it's not like if you don't draw up a play, your offense is just going to be stagnant. You can just kind of like you, you saw a lot, obviously in the playoffs, but also in the regular season, like let's take the nuggets and they're a, a aberration of an example, but lots of teams do this where it's like Jokic and Murray, they're coming up the court. They just say, okay, let's run a quick little two man thing. They run it. They just read the defense and then boom, they're just making it up from there. And, and it's like when you watch the coaches and you watch the offenses, there is a lot less scripted action nowadays. So it is more like a pickup game. It's just a lot higher level basketball. It's a lot, you know, the, the principles and the concepts are a lot more interesting, like you said, Jared, and a lot more fun to watch. Where have we heard that? Motion, read and react. We don't need to draw up a play. Just, I mean, it, it's funny because that's a lot of Bob Knight's principles mm -hmm. coming back into play. You know, what's old is new again. Um, last question on Jalen and Trace. For either guy, is there a team that you think is just a great fit? Like if they get picked by that team where you're like, oh yeah, that's a great place for that guy to go. Yeah, it's it's I think for for Hood Shafino, like it's tough because the to me, he's a guy that that like we I kind of alluded to, you kind of want him to have the ball in his hands for him to be his most effective. And so you kind of need a team where it makes sense for the team for him to have the ball in his hands. And in the range that he's sort of projected in, 
there are there are relatively few teams there uh, who can who can really do that. Um, I know, like John, I mentioned earlier, uh, he has Hood Shafino at at number five on his board, which is whoa higher end, if not if not like the highest, absolute highest end that anyone has Jalen Hood Shafino on their board. Um, but you know, like I look at a team like Utah at nine, they they're a team that kind of they have a few guys like like who can work with the ball in their hands a little bit, but no one who you're like, yes, this is the guy we're building our offense around. So maybe you bring him in to compete with some of those guys on ball reps and, and he can be an on ball player for them. Um, you know, Washington potentially after trading Bradley Beal, they might be a team that's looking for that sort of creation. Indiana at seven, I, I think already has that with Tyrese Halliburton. And that's probably not quite in his, his range that he's being projected in. Uh, Toronto potentially, depending on what they do with Fred Van Vliet this summer and the direction they decide to go in. Um, Orlando, I could see as a potential fit. They they kind of they take the kind of by committee approach, the the read and react team offense that we were talking about. But I, I could see him being a fit there as a backup to Cole Anthony and Markel Fultz uh, and, and Jalen Suggs uh, going into next season. He he would be kind of hard pressed to find some minutes there. But yeah, as I look through this, I think Utah probably stands out the most for him. And then Trace, you know it's always hard to project those sorts of guys uh, at, at, in the second round range, just because yeah. the range is so wide, you know, it's like 38 to 60, you know, it could really be any of those teams. Um, so I think really any team that's looking for like solid backup, big play, I could see him stepping into a team, a, a more veteran team that's has their sights set on the playoffs next year and potentially being like a third big in a rotation. I, I could see that as a guy who cuts his teeth in the regular season a little bit, and maybe is ready for the the playoffs uh, when it gets around, depending on how his season goes. Um, so him, him, there's not as much of a specific team. I think any team that's looking for just some backup big help, some smart center play on both ends of the floor, um, who maybe isn't putting too much expectation on him, but has room for him to contribute to a, a team that's trying to win. As you look around, you know, the NBA at the other Indiana players that are there, OG and Romeo and Eric Gordon, Victor, Cody Zeller, Thomas Bryant, lots of guys. Um, would love to just, you know, get your thoughts on those. We'll start with OG, who, you know, it seems like his future in Toronto is a little bit up in the air. What's your expectation for what, you know, what they're going to do with him? And is he going to be there next year, do you think? Oh, gosh, it's it's really tough to tell with them, partly because Toronto, you just you never really know what they're what they're thinking. They keep it pretty close to the vest. It seemed like he was on the trade market last trade deadline. I really kind of expected him to be dealt at some point. Toronto went the other way. They decided to keep all their guys and double down on what was ultimately kind of a mediocre team. So I wonder if the second half of last year woke them up a little bit and, and helped them realize maybe that this isn't a team worth building around. Now that might not necessarily mean that OG Ananobi is the guy they decide shouldn't be there. I think Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, they would be more likely to end up elsewhere than OG partly because they're older, partly just because, you know, they, they, they're doing the things on that team that you need to be done better. Whereas OG already does the role player stuff at a really high level. That said, I I think if there's a team out there who can convince themselves, and I think a lot of teams can that they're within striking distance of an NBA championship. And what they need is just an on ball defensive stopper who can guard multiple positions and space the floor and cut and and be kind of just a, a team player on offense. That, like OG is the guy that I would give up the like like if I'm Memphis, I would give up quite a bit to to bring him on, especially because it sounds like Dylan Brooks is is not coming back and for good reason yeah. uh, with the Grizz. So 
I would I would expect if he does move it it would be to a team like that a Memphis a New Orleans that kind of thing a, a team that feels like they're within striking distance but you know for him I think the last couple of years he really tried to stretch himself as an on-ball creator and be more of a an iso guy more of a primary pick and roll guy uh, an off the dribble shooter and I just don't think that's his game and and that doesn't mean that he's not a good player it doesn't mean that he can't be an even better player than he would have been playing that role I, I think you know I look at a guy like Aaron Gordon who is a different player than OG Ananobi. But I think there are similarities there in that Aaron Gordon tried really hard early in his career to be a LeBron James type, to be a primary point for ball handling point forward who runs pick and roll, who makes decisions, who is kind of the centerpiece of your offense. And Orlando never really had good offenses or good teams with him doing that. He goes to Denver, he gets in a different environment, he adapts his game, and he becomes arguably the second or third best player on an NBA champion. I think OG could follow a similar kind of script. If he just kind of buys into the things he's good at and says, listen, I'm a really elite defender. I'm a good shooter. I can do a lot of things offensively, but I'm not a primary ball, primary ball handler. Let me fit into that role next to players who are better than, uh, than me at that. I think that like that could change his career legitimately and turn him into one of the more valuable, you know, second, third starters on a championship team, maybe third or fourth starters on a championship team in the league as a role player. So it, to me, it's all just a matter of, of whether he's willing to buy into that role and maybe he'll prove me wrong and become an elite on ball guy. But um, I just don't really see that. And maybe getting traded to a team like, like a Memphis, for instance, might kind of uh, convince him of, of, of that eventuality and, and kind of make him look around and say, okay, yeah, I'm not going to take shots away from John Morant. Um, I'm just going to be a better, a lot better version of Dylan Brooks. Send him to Dallas. Let him guard all three perimeter positions that Luca and Kyrie don't want to Excellent guard. Excellent stand out there think, and make threes. Yeah. I think he'd be a fantastic <laughs> fit there. Yeah. Yeah. So of the other guys Indiana has in the pros, I mean, obviously OG is kind of the headliner right now. Who else's future is interesting to you of all, you know, of all those guys? Is there anybody that stands out? Well, I think Victor Oladipo, just because he's coming off of this injury, you always kind of want to see what he looks like. Romeo Langford hasn't really gotten his career off the ground, but I actually think he's shown for the few of us that actually watched the Spurs the last couple of years, I think he's shown some interesting flashes um, and actually has, has done sort of a similar thing. I don't think he's as dead set on I'm a point guard. I'm a primary ball handler. And he's, he's doing a lot more of the role player stuff, quote unquote, the team stuff. And San Antonio runs a good system where he can, he can do that, but he's fitting his in a lot His defense has really stood out too. And that's what it is. Yeah, he's really yeah. bought in on the defensive end. And, and I think that that's a career changer for him if he can continue to do that. So that he's interesting to me for that reason. Uh, Cody Zeller, not interesting to me. We saw what he did in the finals. I think uh, we know what he is at this point. The last guy I really look at as someone who could really change the course of their career in the near future is Thomas Bryant, NBA yeah. champion, Thomas Bryant. That's right. Um, you know, obviously Denver's not going to be the place where he does that because they have probably the best player in the NBA playing his same position. But, you know, it's, it's always tough. Like Brian's always a guy to me who's, who's shown some flashes. He's done some nice stuff. Then he has a couple bad games. You can't really play him in the playoffs and you just never really hear from him. But I think as a floor spacing five, he's kind of interesting. He's gotten better on defense. He's better defensively than I expected him to be coming out of college. And then he was early in his career. Um, he's learning how to use his length and his positioning a little bit better as a rim protector. Still not great moving his feet. Still doesn't have the greatest instincts. Um, but he's he's serviceable at times on that end. It's just about the consistency for him um, and the awareness and all of the, the the stuff that you need your centers to do defensively at the NBA level, which is not really post-defense or, or on-ball defense. It's more communication, 
rotating weak side kind of stuff. And so he just, you know, he's, he's never really pieced it together on that end, but I think as an offensive big man, he's still kind of interesting. And I don't know, I'm not, I'm not going to say he's going to turn into an all-star or even a starter at any point, but I think in the right circumstance, he's still a guy that I, I think has some intrigue, um, but it, I would put it at maybe less than 50-50 that he really taps into that. Yeah, I mean, I think he'll probably always be a role player like he is now. You know, he's got a great attitude, and so people are going to keep him around, and he can make shots. Mm-hmm. So he's, you know, he's the kind of guy that, like, he could have a moment sometime in the playoffs. Right. You know, if the starter gets hurt and he goes out and hits four threes or something. Four, I was just going to say, hits four threes. Yeah, yeah you know, but, uh, but I think you're right. He just, he probably doesn't have enough consistently um, but I think he'll stick around in the league for a while just because of his attitude, you know, mm-hmm. and the skills that he brings to the table. Yeah, very, very skilled offensively. And that's always going to be something that teams are looking for, especially at the five, uh, because of the way yeah. it changes the lineups you can play and just the scarcity of shooting at that position. Yeah. So I'm curious, you know, when you were here, um, you know, as an intern, you had the great pleasure of watching Archie Miller basketball teams play. I did. Uh to put it mildly, you were not impressed with the things that Indiana did, especially offensively. How yeah. much have you had a chance to watch the last two seasons under Mike Woodson? Uh, you know, I've 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 caught a few games. I would say I could count on two hands the, the number of Indiana games I've seen in the last couple of years. Um, I could really probably count on two hands the number of college basketball games I've seen <laughs> the last couple of years. So so most of the the draft related stuff is is more like film breakdown as opposed okay. to following these guys throughout the year. Um, you know, I was, I was reasonably impressed with, with Woodson's defense and, and the system that he put together there offensively. It's still kind of clunky, hard to tell really how much of that is just the nature of the big 10, the skill set the, of, of the players he had, the, the personnel at his disposal. You know, I was, I also kind of grew up on those, uh, those mid two thousands Atlanta Hawks teams, which Woodson was the coach mm. of as well. So I'm, I'm fairly familiar with, with his background as a coach and, you know, relatively similar stuff going on in Indiana um, compared to what he did in the pros with, with Atlanta, a lot more pick and roll. Part of that is having hood Shafino and Jackson Davis uh, that you're running your offense through. Um, but, you know, I, I think, I think a criticism of his, of Indiana's system this past year could be like, it's a little, it, some people could argue it's a little antiquated because they're playing through the post. They're, they're having to playing two big men at the same time, not a lot of spacing, but at the same time, they have an all American post player. Like what else are you going to do? You're going to not throw him the ball when he's on the block. So I don't know. I think it always with college coaches, it always takes kind of a cycle or two of new recruits, new personnel to really figure out what their identity is as a coach. And we're seeing less like with, with patience waning uh, for, for coaches more and more across the, the, the nation, you know, it's, there are not as many opportunities for coaches to really do that and to, to get their guys in to prove themselves and establish their system. So we'll see. Um, I, I don't think I'm not ready to say he's like an elite college basketball coach, but I, I think he's certainly turning things in the right direction. And the results relative to the Archie Miller era are certainly a lot better and kind of hard to argue with. Yeah, he's certainly already surpassed that. Yeah, that is for sure. Well, let's get you out of here on this and really appreciate your time man, coming yeah. on, especially on short notice. Um, who are like just some of the guys that you're really high on that, you know, may not be lottery picks like I'm super high on Jaime Jaquez. And I realize I'm not out on a limb there. Everybody who's watched college basketball is. But I just think he does so many things well that he's going to go be a solid role player for, you know, 15 years in the league. Maybe eventually, you know, the third best player on a championship team or something. He's a guy who in three years is helping the Heat win a playoff game. Totally. Totally. Yeah, I just, I love that guy. 
Um, who are your guys that, you know, maybe later picks, but you just love and you'll go to bat for? Yeah, I think, I think Hawkeyes, uh, is a good pick. I really like Taylor Hendricks just as a, as a defensive Jack, not like, like a, a Swiss army knife who can just do a lot of different things. He kind of reminds me of, of when Jonathan Isaac was healthy and what he could do on the defensive end, except with potentially a more reliable three point shot. So that's really exciting. And I think yeah. when you look across the league right now and, and, you know, they're, they're the thing that I think a lot of the elite teams in the league have right now is that hybrid four or five who can play next to any kind of center and be really effective. A Giannis, a Jaron Jackson Jr., and Evan Mobley, just these these defensive cheat codes who can kind of do everything on the defensive end of the floor. I think Hendricks could potentially work his way into that category. I think he could be really special on the defensive end. I also really like Cam Whitmore. I mentioned Aaron Gordon earlier. He's another guy that just with the strength and the power and physicality and also just the the raw vertical athleticism is is an exciting prospect. He has a lot of holes in his game right now, and I think nits that you can fairly pick. Um, but he's he's a guy that I like a lot, is, is really exciting. And then this is an obvious one, but like Scoot Henderson, I think because the fact that Victor Wembanyama is so good and he's just such a no-brainer number one pick, I, I feel like sometimes we gloss over the fact that in almost any other draft, Scoot Henderson would probably be the the clear number one pick, or at least a, a strong candidate for it. And I know a lot of people have Brandon Miller over him, and there's a lot to like with Brandon Miller as well. But I'm really a fan of Scoot Henderson's game, and, and I think were he not being overshadowed by women Yama the way he is, I think he's a guy that a lot of people would be really excited about, and that a lot of teams would be really happy to draft number one overall. Because I, I just think you can run your offense through him. I talked about all the stuff to like about Jalen Hood Shafino. I think he has all of that just he's a lot better at a lot of it and you feel more confident that he can do it at the nba level so uh, the physical tools the skill the attitude the competitiveness there's a, a lot to like with him um, and everybody knows that he's really good obviously but i i think just because of the the generational nature of victor Wembanyama as a prospect sometimes scoot gets a little bit glossed over well ben we appreciate your insight man we'll be watching closely tomorrow night and we'll see where jalen and trace go maybe we'll bring you back on and get your thoughts on their fit and how you uh how you project their first few seasons to go but thanks yeah. a lot man for coming on we really appreciate it no problem man thanks for having me and uh okay remind us where's the best place to get the podcast uh probably on my t well if you can subscribe to it on where you know wherever you listen to podcasts it's called read and react it's a react. it's a white logo with a black silhouette of a basketball it says read and react it's pretty easy to find um other than that it's i post all the episodes or at least most of them on my twitter page uh at bladner underscore so you can find them there and that's that's just about all that's on my twitter feed these days so it's pretty easy to find there as well and uh yeah just kind of wide-ranging general nba discussion we actually just had uh, brad roland on to discuss the draft he covers the atlanta hawks as well um, nice. And I think is one of the best draft analysts out there right now. So we had a good conversation with him and obviously chronicled the finals as well. And we'll go keep going through the off season and beyond. So, yeah, I, I do have one more question for you, actually. And this sure. is a mailbag question that we have coming up. Um, someone asked where we get our, you know, who we kind of read for NBA draft coverage, you know, cause I'm always referencing Sam Bassini, who mm -hmm. I really like. Um, I think the ESPN guys actually tend to do a pretty good job. Gavoni um, and those guys. And you just mentioned somebody. Who are some of the other people that you pay attention to that you think really do a good job? Yeah, well, you said Vicini. I think he's he's definitely up there. Uh, I know Adam Spinella and PD Webb both do really good work on the draft as well. Uh, I mentioned Brad Roland, uh, R O W A R O W L A N D, um, 
at BT Roland on Twitter. I think he's he's really good as well as with Atlanta Hawks coverage as well. So if there's uh, any Hawks fans out there listening to this, he's he's a really good follow. Um, as I share that, I'm sure they already know. So yeah, those those are kind of the main ones. And then honestly, like I, I mentioned, I've referenced John Sauber now several times on this podcast. Uh, I'd be so embarrassed to admit that to him. Um, but he, I think he, he's got he Jalen really Huchifino at number five. So we, he does. So we he's got to be a good guy. You know? Sauber's yeah. draft analysis. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I think I think he his analysis on the draft is really good as well. He I know he does the work and he really um, puts a lot of time into making his big board, doing the scouts. Um, and is not afraid to to really stick to his guns, as evidenced by the Hood Shafino yeah. uh, uh, opinion. So, um, I think a, a guy who who kind of is good at, at fitting in draft prospects with the direction of the NBA and, and kind of mer- yeah. like Sam Bassini does this too, like kind of having knowledge of both worlds and seeing yep. how they can cross over with one another. Yep, that's that's always what I want. I don't want the NBA guys who have never watched a moment of college basketball, yeah. like a Bill Simmons, giving me his opinions because he doesn't know. But yeah. I also don't want just the college basketball guys who don't understand what skills have to translate from college to the NBA. So you're right. That's what you want mm-hmm. is that sweet spot. Guys who have kind of dabbled in both and really understand both because they give you the best analysis. Yeah, it's, and it's really hard to do. I mean, we yeah. a lot of our discussion about Jalen Hood, Shafino, and Trace Jackson Davis was about how the modern NBA has changed and just really specific yep. details about this current state of the NBA and so to be able to monitor that and really keep your finger on that pulse, but also know the nuances of Jalen Hood Shafino's game, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of work um, and it takes a lot of love for the game of basketball. So I have a lot of respect for the guys who can do both of those things well. Yep. Well, Ben, thanks, man. Really appreciate you coming on. And hopefully we see much more of that NBA uh, coverage in the future because you're good at it, man. We need you writing about hoops. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Thanks for having me. It was, it was really good to be here. Thanks for coming, Ben. Absolutely. Great to have you, Ben. All right, the great Ben Ladner, everybody, here joining us to talk about the NBA draft. Always appreciate being able to talk basketball with Ben. Uh, So that'll do it for this segment. Coming up here on Assembly Call Radio, it is mailbag time. It may just be me answering these questions because I think Ryan has to bounce. But we got a bunch of great questions. I'll answer as many as I can next. Stick with us on the Assembly Call. All right. Ryan, you got to bounce? Yeah, I hung on till the end of the segment, but I, I'm about 13 minutes late. So, Thank you for your sacrifice. I, you know what? It's not. Thank the other people for theirs. It's <laughs> selfless on my part. Ben, it's good to see you, man. You too, Ryan. Yeah, good to catch up. Uh, see you later, yeah. guys. Thanks, for everybody, for listening. All right. Thank you. Thanks for being here, Ryan. All right. Well, Ben, great talking to you, man. Yeah, you too, man. I was really happy when you reached out. It was it was fun to come on. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. We gotta get you gotta get you back writing about basketball more. I know, man. Yeah. It's uh yeah, as I mentioned. But you're I'm, right. I'm, I mean, when you see the caliber of writers that just got laid off by the athletic. Right. And it's like, geez, man. It's you yeah. Know? It's hard so to I, I mean, it. even if even if I thought I was as good as some of those guys, it's like, how do you even work your way up to that point anymore? You know, and establish yourself. It's so it's yeah, but I, I really I do miss it and I do love it. And it's it's, uh, you know, I appreciate you saying that I do a good job with it. But yeah, hopefully it's something that I can at least, at least get back into as a hobby. You know, I started a, a new job I mentioned in kind of the civilian world, quote unquote. Yeah. And so getting used to that's taken a lot of time. And it's just kind of like it's it's tough to uh, to find an hour or two to write about basketball anymore. But hopefully, you know, as I get into year two now, that will free up a little bit. 
Well, I mean, IU fans are many things. Uh, insane is certainly one of them. Uh, mostly reasonable, but at times yeah. probably unreasonable. But one thing that is definitely true about IU fans is you cannot fool them with bad or surface level basketball analysis because you will get called out for mm -hmm. it. And that was the thing, man, when you were writing that newsletter, you know, we got a lot of emails with people who were really impressed with your work. So, yeah, it's... Well, I appreciate that. Those are fun to write. I, I really, those were good opportunities to like really dig in and, and get into the weeds, which yeah. I like doing. Yeah. So. Those are fun. Well, cool, man. Well, thank you. Enjoy the draft tomorrow night. And, uh, yeah. well, uh, yeah, let's get you back on here soon. Awesome. That'd be awesome. I would, I would love to, uh, catch up again. Yeah, let's do it, man. Thanks, Ben. All right, man. Yep, take it easy. Cool. See ya. Okay, let's do uh, a little solo segment three here. Um, yeah, I got time to answer a few of these questions. Let's do this. Here <clears throat> we go. This is Jordan Halls, and I never miss a shot or an episode of The Assembly Call. All right. Thank you, Jordan. I am Jared Morris, and I am here with nobody. Uh, Ryan had to take off, but really, uh, you know, just really appreciative of Scott Agnes and Ben Ladner uh, giving us their time this week uh, to talk about NBA stuff, which is their wheelhouse, not really our wheelhouse, so nice to have, uh, you know, some people with expertise in that area um, to help us out. Uh, and by the way, one other interesting note about Jordan Hall is it was interesting listening to the Gabe Cups interview uh, with the Hoosier Hysterics this week. And one of the anecdotes that he gave was talking about Jordan Hulls and how much, you know, Jordan has kind of worked with him, especially on, you know, how to get your shot off against more athletic guys in college basketball uh, and said they've really built a good relationship. So, you know, people kind of wondering, you know, what kind of insight uh, Jordan is having there. He's definitely having an impact, uh, you know, on the players who are here as well as, you know, his role. Uh, recruiting the next batch of players coming in. So that was cool. Always recommend those interviews because um, it's always so interesting hearing from the players themselves. Uh, but let's dive into the mailbag here. We'll answer a few questions. Uh, all these questions this week submitted via our private IU basketball discussion community. Learn more about that. Assemblycall.com slash community. You can still join us. There's always people joining every week and we appreciate it. Um, conversations are a little bit slower going in the off season, as you might expect, but still stuff going on. Um, and we've got a new edition of uh, IU Film Room coming out tomorrow, all about Trey Galloway. In fact, as soon as I get done here, I'm going to get that prepped and ready to go for tomorrow. So always new stuff happening. Join us at assemblycall.com slash community. And then make sure that you're listening to Doing the Work, uh, our show on the Back Home Network about the IU women's basketball team, the budding juggernaut that Terry Morin is building, hosted by Kathy Amos and Jeff Marlowe. They just did an interview with Austin Render, and they have an interview coming up. And Kathy wouldn't tell me the name, but she said it's a member of the 1983 Big Ten title team, which was, of course, the last Big Ten title team uh, before the women went this year. Uh, and so just be on the lookout for that. She wouldn't tell me who it is, but there's someone coming uh, from that team. So check out doing the work. All right, let's answer a few of these. From Troy, if you could have an IU player drafted to one particular franchise, ignoring roster fit and excluding the Pacers because of hometown bias, what franchise would you pick? So I can answer this in a couple of different ways. One is the Mavericks. That's easy because I live, you know, here in the DFW Metroplex. And so it would be great to have an Indiana Hoosier on the Mavericks, like when Yogi was on the Mavericks uh, there for uh, a little while. But let's get another Hoosier to the Mavericks. Come on, Mark Cuban, make it happen. You know, I don't 
think Jalen Huchifino is a particularly great fit with Luca. Uh, Trace would be a good fit for the Mavericks, uh, you know, with the lobs he could get from Luca. But OG would just be awesome uh, to have. And actually, I think Romeo might be a decent fit too, uh, given their need for perimeter defense. So any of those guys who come to Dallas, I would love. You know, but other than that, you know, I would want I want guys to go to franchises that have a strong track record of development. Like I would love it if Jalen went to Miami. You know, I know people like to kind of joke about heat culture and it's kind of used as a punchline sometimes, but it's true. Like there is a real culture there of development and he just seems like a guy who would really fit in um, well there. Trace too, you know, either one of those guys. And, you know, for Trace to be able to learn from a guy like Bam Adebayo would obviously be, you know, be huge for him. Um, And, you know, outside of that, it would be to go to a place like Denver where they have a star who is going to help you maximize whatever you can do. Um, you know, now again, is Jalen the perfect fit in Denver? You know, it could be good, you know, kind of running their second unit. Um, but he's going to have to improve a little bit more off ball if you're going to play, uh, you know, with, you know, with a Jokic and a Murray, but you know, that, that's where I would want guys to go is either a, a franchise that has a really strong track record for player development and success or playing with a player that's going to maximize uh, their potential like a Jokic. From Brandon, what are some of your favorite jerseys worn by IU players in the NBA? Well, all of Calvert Cheney's jerseys, because I have all those, except I think for the cup of coffee uh, that he had with the Celtics. But I've got my Wizards uh, jersey. Okay, probably my favorite one is the original Bullets jersey. Um, And I've actually got an autographed uh, version of that in my closet. Um, I think that would probably be it, because... You know, I understand all the reasons why they changed their name, but that was, you know, his original uniform when he was a rookie. Um, it always comes back to Calvert for me. So that would be, uh, but, you know, other favorite jerseys would be Philadelphia 76ers, Greg Graham jersey, and Atlanta Hawks, Alan Henderson jersey, and Orlando Magic, Brian Evans jersey. Just give me all the jerseys from the 93 team that ended up playing in the NBA. I'll just take them all and, uh, and I'll be happy. Uh, from Andrew, who should West Virginia hire after the precipitous downfall of Bob Huggins? And why is the answer Tom Crean? He said, mostly kidding. My real question, but still Crean related, does the continuing success of Crean's players in the NBA further improve his legacy as the Hoosiers head coach? So Dick Vitale, you know, made some waves on Twitter when he strongly suggested that West Virginia should go after Tom Crean. You know, and look, certainly, you know, if you look at Tom Crean as he left Indiana, you could make that case because it's like, geez, look at this guy. He went to Marquette and yeah, they had some ups and downs, but he made a final four. He goes to Indiana. Yeah, they had some ups and downs, but he rebuilt this thing, won two big 10 titles. You know, so this coach has something. Unfortunately, he went to Georgia, you know, had a player of the caliber of Anthony Edwards, who was the number one recruit in the country and now is, you know, a top 15 player in the NBA and just couldn't do anything, you know, and Georgia just bottomed out as a program. So, you know, I think if you're West Virginia, he's a name I'd be interested in because of his track record. Um, and I think taking over kind of a difficult situation where you just need a guy with a lot of energy, I think Tom can really succeed in that role. Long term, I think it's hard to make a case that he's a great fit anywhere. I just think he's the type of coach that kind of wears out his welcome because there's just there's so much energy and there's so much intensity. And, you know, some of it is a little strange that I just think you can wear out your welcome. And that's happened to him. So if I'm West, if I was a West Virginia fan, I would be hoping for someone that doesn't have a black mark on their resume like Crean's time at Georgia, even though that's a hard job. But you would still have liked to see more growth and more success there. 
you know, that said, I would consider him just because of his successful track record at two big time basketball schools like Marquette and Indiana. <clears throat> you know, as for the continuing success of Crean's players, yeah, you know, I think obviously when Crean left, it was time to go. I think most of us agree with that. You probably could have made an argument that he quote unquote deserved another year because of 2016, but that also ignores the fact that he got a lot of patience his first three years, pretty decent amount of patience in 14 and 15 when things were not going well. And even the 16 season was only good for about six weeks, you know, or maybe eight weeks. And outside of that, you know, they really struggled. Um, so it was time for him to go, but I think, I still think history is going to smile pretty favorably on his time at Indiana for people who remember the context of what he walked into, you know, and then just some of the challenges <clears throat> that the program has faced and is still kind of trying to, <coughs> excuse me, is still kind of trying to work its way out of under Mike Woodson. But I think that, and the fact that, you know, so many of his players have developed, you know, in that recruiting class of Thomas Bryant, OG Ananobi, Juwan Morgan, you know, those guys have all been part of winning teams the last two, three years. So, yeah, I think the continuing success of his players does further improve his legacy. You know, we all had a bit of a checkered experience with Tom when he was here as the head coach. But I very much look forward to a point, hopefully in the not too distant future, when, you know, one of those teams is brought back to be honored and he can come back and get the ovation he deserves at Assembly Hall. Um, you know, because I think... That's, those were nine years of Indiana basketball. And I think as we kind of repair the Indiana basketball family, <clears throat> you know, Tom was part of it in an important way. And his players certainly were in an important way. And so I hope that gets embraced and kind of gets fully, uh, you know, brought back into the fold. So good question, Andrew. <clears throat> so then Andrew asked about ranking the careers of Indiana players, the NBA careers. I'm going to hold off on that question because I didn't have time to research it. So we're going to hold off on that, and then we'll do that in a future episode um, and rank the NBA careers of Indiana players. We answered JD's question about who we pay attention to for their opinions on the draft. <clears throat> and David said, now that Thomas Bryant has a ring and OG Ananobi has a ring, who do you predict will be the next IU alum to earn an NBA title? I think I want to wait and answer this after Jalen and Trace get drafted, you know, because if Jalen goes to the Heat, I mean, that's a team that's going to be going all out to win a title next year. So one of those two guys could fall into a great situation. I think if you're just looking at the situations that guys are in now, I mean, you know, how long is it going to take Wimbenyama to develop and is Romeo still going to be there? You know, I don't know. I would say... I would say it's kind of hard to predict because you don't even know how long Cody Zeller is going to be on Miami and... The other Indiana guys just don't have real solid roles. So I would say if if you had to pick somebody who's going to be the next IU alum, if I can't take OG, I mean, you can't take Thomas. I don't know. You know, Eric Gordon is a guy who could end up on a contender. Um, and so he'd probably be the safe bet that he ends up on a contender next year uh, and can be a valuable role player as a scorer helping them win. So I'm going to go with Eric. And then last question from Valerie. She said, in your Sunday newsletter, it started off former Hoosier Thomas Bryant, yet we always refer to our players as Hoosiers for life, quote unquote. <clears throat> can you come up with something better than former? TB will always be one of us. The question comes uh, from a BA in print journalism and a librarian with a master's 
who worked in the arts and music department, which entailed English grammar. So I think Valerie's right. Um, I would just say Hoosier alum, um, you know, or just Hoosier. You know, I, I can see how in some sentences you would kind of want to use something like former to indicate that he's not there anymore. Um, you know, certainly for a guy who had a great career, Indiana legend, um, you know, you could even say for Thomas Bryant, you know, Big Ten champion, Thomas Bryant, something like that, that, you know, maybe gives something specific about their time to put them in context, but also, you know, describes them as a former Hoosier, maybe without saying so. Now, it seems like Valerie's looking for a specific phrase you could use in all situations. <clears throat> if that's the case, I would just knock the former off. Um, you know, maybe use, use something more uh, descriptive. Thomas Bryant, who played at Indiana from such and such to such and such. So give me kind of something specific about them. That's what I would say. But the other issue I have is not necessarily with, you know, former Hoosier. It's this idea of once a Hoosier, always a Hoosier, which I see a lot. And, you know, to a certain extent, like I get the sentiment there. Um, and there are guys where that makes sense. Like Rob Finnessy this week. Uh, went around on social media that he was at Mike Woodson's, you know, camp working out with campers. And Rob Finnessy, even though he transferred and finished his career at Cincinnati, absolutely is always a Hoosier. I mean, the guy was at Indiana for four years and has some, <clears throat> you know, some notable moments where he's a made man. You know, you hit the shot to beat Butler. You have that performance against Purdue and just some of the other, uh, you know, ways that he contributed to winning as a defensive player. He for sure is. But are we calling Lawrence Funderburk once a Hoosier, always a Hoosier? I don't think so. Um, you know, so there's got to be there's got to be something there. I think you have to earn the always a Hoosier thing. And if you just have a cup of coffee in Bloomington and you don't really leave your mark, like is Larry Bird always a Hoosier? No. You know, so I think you got to, And I don't know exactly where that line is. Um but I think there needs to be a line there. I don't think that just if you enroll at Indiana and go to a couple practices or play in some games that you're always a Hoosier. So I do have an issue with the once a Hoosier, always a Hoosier thing. I get the sentiment. I just think being a Hoosier is special. And I think you have to have done something to earn that more than just sign a letter of intent or show up and do a few things. <clears throat> like you got to make an imprint. Like Jalen Hutcherfino, obviously a Hoosier. I mean, that guy has put in so much just in his short time in Bloomington, but he's a Hoosier, um, you know, for sure. Uh, you know, then you take, you know, the the example of guys who transfer maybe after one or two years, like is Demise Anderson still a Hoosier? I mean, I love Demise, really wanted him to do well, you know, and he was at Indiana, but do we still consider him a Hoosier? I don't know. Give me your thoughts. Would love to know. Hit me up on Twitter. Let me know. Maybe that's a kind of a weird hill to die on. Al, okay, Al Durham. That's a great one. Al Durham, definitely a Hoosier. Al gave Indiana four great years. I, I think if a guy grad transfers, I do not penalize a guy for grad transferring and maybe trying to get into a different situation for his final year. Al Durham, unquestionably, uh, still a Hoosier. Maybe we'll just have a whole show where we do Hoosier, not a Hoosier, and just talk about uh, what those guys are. So, yes, Hoosier great. That's another one from David Kirk there. That's a great idea. Hoosier great, Thomas Bryant. You don't even need to say former Hoosier great. Just Hoosier great because he was great. You beat Kentucky in the round of 32 and do all the things that Thomas did. Uh, you, get, uh, you get that respect. All right. Thank you for all those questions. We will get back to the one about NBA careers once we've had a little bit of time to research it. 
All right, everybody, that is going to do it for us on this week's edition of the Assembly Call. If you want to see us do the show live, join us at assemblycall.com on Thursday nights or the occasional Wednesday night for the live broadcast of our Assembly Call radio recording. Thank you to Bob Thompson for producing our music. Thank you to John Ringer of rigdesign.com for designing our logos. And as always, thank you for listening. We'll be back to talk IU hoops again with you next Thursday and analyze where Jalen and Trace are going. Until then. Take it from me, Rob Finnessy. Keep your eyes on the rim and your elbows in. Go Hoosiers. All right, I got to get out of here, folks. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for coming out. Here I come, Mrs. Stansoni. <laughs> All righty. Ooh, someone said Justin Smith. Yeah, you know, I mean, he played long enough, and he kind of had his moments against Michigan State, but didn't, I don't know, he kind of seemed to kick Indiana on his way out the door. I don't know. That would be an interesting one. We'd have to debate that. You put in three years, you know, and the difficult circumstances he did, you know, in that time. I have to think about that one. But anyway, thanks, everybody, for being here. Everybody enjoy the draft tomorrow night. Uh, hope for the best for Jalen and Trace. Just so excited to see both those guys achieve their dreams. It'll be a, it'll be a fun night, a good night for Indiana basketball. Um, hopefully all the recruits are watching. I bet they will be. All right, everybody, take care. See you all inside the community. And next week.